In the last three weeks, this is our third week culmination of our series, a topical series on our use, on the use of the incarnation. Uh, Senior Pastor Caleb started by speaking from Philippians 2, mentioning the fact that our Lord left the riches of heaven and gave his all, and in doing so, he provided an example of what it is to be sacrificial in nature and in our being, for we are to emulate Christ. Pastor Carl then came back on the second week, and he talked about the fact from 1 Corinthians that Jesus became poor, he who had all the riches of heaven and all of the universe and everything belonged to him. He became poor so that we might become rich in him. And this week, I would like to close this topical series speaking about the experiential aspect of the incarnation. I'm going to do so by speaking through Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, and Hebrews chapter 14, verses 14 through 16. Our text again starts in chapter 2, verse 18, but for context's sake, I'll be reading from verse 16. This is God's holy and inerrant word, so let's give careful attention to it. Hebrews 2, verse 16. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in whom every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our glorious Heavenly Father, we ask that you would now speak to us concerning the benefits of the incarnation. We know that you sent your Son out of the abundance of love. Reveal the depths of that to us even now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I will attempt this morning to to flush out the things that I have just said under three points, under the heading of three points. First, God's primary use of the incarnation addressed our greatest need. And this is something you would have already heard time and time again. But faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. And you should definitely hear that particular thing at all times. Our second point, the incarnation, made our greatest source of empathy and care even greater. You heard Pastor Caleb read from Psalm 139 that our Lord knows us, everything about us, our frame. But this adds, the incarnation adds a different element, another element to it. And thirdly, the incarnation serves as a great source of confidence. So first, God's primary use of the incarnation addressed our greatest need. We all love, brothers and sisters, receiving gifts. 
Gifts communicate the fact that you care or are cared for, that you're thinking about someone or being thought of by someone. A gift says that you mean something to someone. Now we know, all of us know one thing about gifts. They, are, they weren't all created equally. I could spend some time telling you about the time in second grade, for instance, when me and my aunt went out and we, we looked for the finest gift for our second grade gift exchange. And we came upon this fire truck that was about this big. I mean, it was an awesome fire truck. I literally wanted to keep it for myself. But I know, you know, you bought it for the other first. So I took it to this gift exchange in my second grade class. And the guy that exchanged gifts with me gave me a pair of socks. And it wasn't just a pair of socks. It was a pair of socks that looked like they came out of his dresser drawer. I'm not going to tell you this morning that during PE, you know, physical, when we had time down on the basketball uh, court, that I literally went and permanently borrowed my fire truck and gave him back his socks, you see. Not all gifts are equal, but I think you'll join me in saying that we have the greatest gift of all in the incarnation. When it comes to the incarnation, I believe we can definitely agree in that fact. It is, in fact, the greatest gift of all. It's a gift that was promised to us way back in Genesis 3.15. It's a gift that Isaiah, in no uncertain terms, wrote of when he wrote, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end. And again he wrote, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now we know when we're taught uh, that this gift of God himself becoming a man was totally necessary since all of us inherited Adam's sin nature and are quite prone to sinning on our own. And if it is true that our chief reason for existence is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, then to be separated from him for eternity is the worst possible fate anyone could ever have. It would be like taking the engine out of your car, leaving it in the garage, taking your car and putting it outside in the driveway, leaving them separately, and then trying to push your car. You could put it in neutral and you could push it. You could sit in it. And maybe you might even be able to listen to the radio, but it will never ever fulfill the purpose to which it was created unless those two things are joined. And so it is with us that we were separated from God, justly deserving his wrath and displeasure. But at the right time, God gave us the greatest gift ever, his son. It's the gift that truly keeps on giving. All other benefits, everything else, that can be called good flows from that gift. It reconciled us to our creator and wonderfully restored us back to our place of purpose. That is why, brothers and sisters, we're here. That's why we were able to praise him. That's why we were able to lift up our hands. That's why we magnify him. And that's why our hearts are filled with praise. And oh, did you notice that the writer of Hebrews stressed the fact that it wasn't the angels that he helps, 
but the offspring of Abraham. The angels in heaven, you see, are in the presence of God. There is no effect of sin. There is no separation from their purpose, no sorrow, no pain, no need for someone to stand in the gap for them. Nor was us who were in great need, and not just of reconciliation, but also of great care and sympathy. And that brings us to our second heading. The incarnation made our greatest source of empathy and care even greater. Yes, we've been delivered from the bondage of death and sin. And that's great news, but there's a reality that all of us are very much aware of. And that is the fact that though we've been spared from the ultimate penalty of sin, we still deal with the ravages of living in a world of sin with bodies that are still influenced and affected by sin. Last year, around this time, in a sermon, I asked the following questions. Did you know that during this time of the year, many people, and I'm talking about Christians and non-Christians alike, suffer heightened bouts of depression and anxiety? Are you aware that many have lost their loved ones during this time, and this month continually reminds them of that fact, and often kindles afresh some degree of their pain? There are many, including among us, who have strained to downright bad relationships with their parents, their spouses, and or their kids. They see the commercials, the movies of other families gathered around a Christmas tree, opening gifts seeming to be filled to the brim with merriment and laughter they are, all in one accord. And then these folks, they think of their own existence, those who are outside of that and the hurt they feel. And though it's hidden, it's still palpable. These then words or time would fail me to talk about the ongoing chronic physical pain some are experienced, which robs them of the happiness offered by this world, the spiritual pain of others who fall more often than not to their enemies, the flesh, the world, and the devil. They live with an assailing voice constantly barraging them with words like, wait a minute, you call yourself a Christian? Then why did you do such and such? And this is even though they've been forgiven years and years ago, God has already forgiven them, but they're still hearing the voices that are causing them to question themselves. And this often leaves them silently wondering, I know what the preacher said. I know what my Bible study leader said. I know what my Sunday school teacher said. But is there any real hope for me? Is there any relief in sight? Does anyone really understand how I feel? Last year, as I preached this and spoke of this, I spoke as one who was on the outside looking in and feeling for those who are feeling that. This year, on December 8, I was told, first and first, when I woke up and, and right around 11.58 in the morning, through a text, a, a ruling elder text us as pastors, saying that Phil Wilson had lost his mom. My heart reached out to him. And then I thought of all those people who were throughout the entire month already from Thanksgiving on, all the people that are in our bulletin and our prayer chain, all the stuff that I had been seeing and how it seemed to have escalated this year for some reason. And my heart felt 
terrible for them. And less than two hours later, I found out that my older brother, two years older than me, had just died. And so I'm asking the question again at that particular point. And then at finding out the family dynamics, I found out that my brother, who was a combat veteran in Iraq, and now is therefore on disability because of that, had a service dog and a service dog. And if those of you notice, you become very close to your service dog. His service dog is lying on his couch, dying. And it is in a moment when his service dog died that right after that he found out that his brother, who helped him design and fix up his entire house, who helped him with his youngest daughter more than anyone else in the world, had just died. And so it became that which was outside now becomes a reality. And again, the question then is being asked, Brothers and sisters, is there anyone who really understands how you feel? All of us are in a different place. And by the way, this is not a message of gloom and doom or anything like that, and you'll see that as we go along. But the answer to this question, the core message of this morning is, is the answer to the question, does anyone really understand how you feel? Does anyone really understand how I feel? The unquestionable answer is yes. There is someone who knows exactly how you feel. The scriptures teach us that the incarnation gave us a savior who was made like us in every respect. It teaches us that he suffered and thus experientially was able to sympathize or is able rather to sympathize with us. Regarding the issue of sin, he was tempted at all points the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes. Of course, he did not sin, but he knows what it is to be tempted. And so, as he is interceding for us on the right-hand side of the Father, as our great high priest, he is doing so perfectly from an experiential vantage point. The incarnation, brothers and sisters, made that possible. Brothers and sisters, let me again remind you that the empathy and care of our Savior goes way beyond dealing with the ultimate penalty of our sins. His empathy and care also extend to every difficulty, every trial that we will ever face in our lives. You got family issues? Matter I remind you that in Mark chapter 3, verse 20 through 21, Jesus' family tried to take him off the mission field. Reasoning that he was out of his mind. Don't believe me? The text literally says that, it says that it says, And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. Now, if they can think Jesus is out of his mind, how much more are they going to think by you? You see, your unsaved family members don't see eye to eye with you. Neither the Jesus family, at least not initially, lost a loved one when Mary came and told Jesus, of her brother Lazarus's death, he saw her crying, he saw others crying, and he in turn, the scriptures tell us, was moved in his spirit and he wept. The Lord of glory who knew no pain, knew no suffering, came among us and he literally wept at the sight of others. And there's a great possibility that Jesus' father, according to the flesh, Joseph died before he did. For he seems to move off the pages of Scripture at every point. 
and we don't see it. Going further, Jesus, upon seeing and understanding the plight of the nation, he founded Israel. Yes, he founded it. He wept again as he approached Jerusalem, and he saw the state that they were in and that they were rejecting the very God who founded them, who called them his own. And if anyone understands the difficulty of engaging in a difficult task, it would have been Jesus, still is. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was pained over what was before him, so much so that it said he he sweat like uh, blood, as the blood drops of tears. In the Garden of Gethsemane then, uh, he, he bled, he sweat blood. But yet scripture tells us that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the greatest hardship known to man, the cross, for the glory set before him. You know what I take away from that? If Jesus could have died like that and went to the cross looking at what was before him with joy, we too can endure everything that comes our way because we know the end of the story. If anyone knows the end of the story, it's us. And Jesus knows it, he feels it, and he's praying for us in that regard. So no matter where we are, we can walk in the joy and the strength of the Lord. Notice I didn't say we have to be always happy, but I said we can always have the joy of the Lord as our strength. Time and time again we see in the pages of Scripture, examples of Jesus experiencing the same thing that we do. And now he's sitting on the right-hand side of the Father, still a man, experientially acquainted with every form of suffering and temptation known to us. So brothers and sisters, you could search all over. You know, there's a song I love like that. You can search all over but you can't find nobody, nobody greater than our Lord. Well, you can search all over, and you will not find anyone more equipped to extend care, the care and intercession that is so central to our growth and well-being. If you have been called of the Lord and you are his, you are in the best possible position, and you of all people can enjoy Christmas to the hill. And it is with that sheer knowledge in hand that the writer of Hebrews says in verse 16 of chapter 4, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And this brings us to our final heading. The incarnation is a great source of confidence and may I add comfort. No matter what your life situation might be right now, tomorrow you can still experience a time of joy. How so, you ask, Dean? You know you've been talking about what's going on in my life. You know as a pastor what's been going on. You know the difficulties. You know the pain that is in my body. You know that I'm facing cancer. You know exactly what I'm dealing. You know that I have to reveal things to others, and I'm desperately dreading the time and how I'm going to have to reveal those things. You know these things. And so how is it then that you can say this? How do you ask? If you haven't professed Christ as Lord and Savior, 
then here the writer is telling you God is a God of mercy. He is the one who, based on the finished work of his son, withholds the punishment you rightly deserve. That's mercy. And extends, he does, a benefit, salvation that you haven't earned. That's grace. The same throne that serves as a place of judgment for some serves as a continual throne of grace for others. That is those who have placed their faith in Christ alone for their salvation. So you see, if your gaze is on Christ, you can enjoy life in the midst of what you're dealing with. You can have the peace that passes all understanding. This, in fact, can be the greatest Christmas you've ever experienced, no matter what your circumstances might be. MacArthur makes a good point here, writing, most ancient rulers were unapproachable by the common people. Some would not even allow their highest ranking officials to come before them without permission. Queen Esther risked her life in approaching King Ahasuerus without invitation, even though she was his wife. Yet any penitent person, hear me this morning, if you do not know Christ, any penitent person, no matter how sinful and undeserving may approach God's throne at any time for forgiveness and salvation, confident that he will be received with mercy and with grace. He concluded his commentary on this section writing, how can anyone reject such a high priest, such a savior, who not only permits us to come before his throne for grace and help, but pleads with us to come in confidence. Now to those who have placed their faith in Christ, and I pray and believe that that is the majority of us here this morning, if you're dealing with hard providences this season, may I suggest that you, we, need to lean into the hope we have set before us. Lean into the knowledge that that which is upside down will be made right. Sin placed us in an upside down world. The incarnation is our promise, again, even from Genesis 3.15, that that which is upside down will be right side up. We are already in the kingdom and moving in the direction and so let us lean into that knowledge. May I suggest that the scripture says, we do not deal with the things of this world, no matter what trial you're dealing with, no matter what situation you're dealing with. We do not deal with the things in this world as those who have no hope. When the apostle Paul said that, he was talking about death. But the principle applies to us in every area of our lives. We don't approach the things of this world. The incarnation has made it so that no matter what we deal with, no matter how we deal with things, we have Christ and we have a hope that all things will be made right. And so we become purveyors of good news in the midst of no matter of all bad news. In fact, 
if all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, the very things that seem to be bad in our life can be the very thing that God uses and will result in us receiving crowns in heaven that we could then turn around and place at his feet. Because he lives, how great would it be if we could rejoice in the knowledge that he is ours? Think about that for a second. Again, Scripture says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the trials, the cross, the suffering. How great would it be if we could rejoice in the knowledge that he is ours and we are his. He is the reason for the season. And because he lives, we will also. How awesome it would be if our gaze on tomorrow would be so fixed on him that it causes us to bubble over with joy inexpressible. And that joy would be shared with everyone in our presence as we are in the midst of family members who are not happy we can seem and be that way. As we are in the midst of different difficulties, we can be that way. Wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, you can have the joy of the Lord, and it can bubble out of you so much that you can become infectious. You know, we were running away from COVID, but people won't be having to run away from you, you see. For those now who aren't hindered by any difficult providences this season, Perhaps you're experiencing blessings upon blessings. To you I say, rejoice to the hilt. The incarnation of our Lord has given you every reason to shout, every reason to be merry, every reason to enjoy family, both church and blood relatives. Everything that you have has come from the Lord and as a Christian, as a consequence of the incarnation, you are now joined. You, are in, you have inherited your ears of all the blessings of glory. The same riches that Jesus left to sacrifice for you. You are now recipients of those blessings. Rejoice to the hilt. Should you be feeling bad or should your heart be moved for those who aren't in the same providence that you are. Yes, but in the same manner that I am asking them to rejoice, to place their gaze upon Christ, you can join them, you can join your family in lifting up our Lord, in enjoying him. We were created to that end, brothers and sisters, to enjoy him. So what better day to enjoy him without hindrance tomorrow. Recognizing your providences might be harsh, they might be awesome, but joining together in lifting up Christ, magnifying him as we exchange gifts, recognizing that the true and greatest gift is our Lord himself, and that is what is being represented when we give the gifts that we are giving. We're recognizing that we received the greatest gift of all. Oh, I tell you, it should make your heart jump with joy 
I know you're not Pentecostals, <laughs> but I know that you know what I'm saying. And so tomorrow, let us all, wherever state we're in, enjoy our Lord and enjoy each other with all we have, all to the praise of our Lord's glory. Can I hear the church say amen? amen. Let's pray. Glorious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incarnation. We thank you for the words that we've heard on these last three weeks about our Savior and the grandeur of the things that he has done on our behalf and our access to him and the benefits that we have as a result of his incarnation. We thank you for one another and all the benefits that we have now as a body, how we are to love one another, how we are to share mourn with one another, weep with one another, but also rejoice in your goodness together. We thank you that you've brought all things together well for us and pray that on tomorrow we would be able to enjoy you to the utmost as we enjoy our families, church wives, and blood relatives. Cause us to walk in the knowledge of your goodness towards us, to experientially know at every point in our lives that you care it for us and that, our, that you are interceding nonstop for us at the right-hand side of the Father and that we can come to you with every care that we have, that we can rejoice in the knowledge that you are rejoicing that we are yours as promised by the Father to you before the very foundation of this world. We thank you so much for dying and coming among us, for living a perfect life, for raising from the dead, ascending into heaven, and being where you are right now as a man, able to identify with every single one of our feelings. Thank you. Thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you're doing right now, and all that you will continue to do now and forevermore. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.